Welcome to the Poison Honey Podcast, where we discuss the bitter truths of life with raw vulnerability, honesty, and just a dash of humor. I am your host, Manavak of Grey. I am an artist, an author, amongst other things. And I started this podcast last year, and I am excited to continue in season two with you. And today we are discussing the topic of identity. And yeah, identity, it's just so broad. You can, uh, there's so much, there's so many parts uh, that make up one's identity. Like for myself, if I consider what my identity is, you know, I, I am a woman, I am from the Caribbean, I am hella mixed uh, gene-wise, right? Um, I think dominant parts of my genes, you can see like my, my obviously African hair texture um, and other body parts. And then I also have like the indigenous American identity part, uh, which I also resonate with because my great grandma was a native from uh, Venezuela. And there, there's just so many different elements um, of what I consider to be my identity. And uh, I mean, also uh, sexuality and, and all of these things play a role in, in someone's identity. And that is exactly what I'm talking about today with my guest, Justin Cruz, who is from Aruba. And uh, Aruba, along with Bonaire and Curacao, Sint Martin, Saba and Saint Stasius, um, make up Caribbean islands that are in some way or another within the kingdom of the Netherlands. And this, this in itself forms a big part of our identity for us um, because yeah, we're basically born in what we can consider to still be Dutch colonies. We're all the way in the Caribbean, uh, the ABC islands, so Aruba, Bonaire, and Curaçao. We have our own language, which is Papiamento. Um, we eat similar foods. And a lot of the times our families uh, across these islands um, are really mixed up like my father's from curacao for example my mom is from bonaire i grew up on bonaire and similarly you will hear uh justin tell us a little bit about his own family structures which, which is the other way around so we curacao um, which i found really interesting and, and these things do form us because um, for example my education was uh, mainly in dutch though um and from from preschool, I was already learning Dutch, and um, the Dutch we learn is taught to us by people that also speak Dutch as a second language. So uh, once I moved to the Netherlands, and I thought I speak Dutch, and I moved here, I was like, I don't really speak Dutch. <laughs> I do, but there's just certain differences. Um, and even the, the accent today, I still have my accent. I, I mean, probably in English as well, but also in Dutch, I have an accent. Um, maybe in my own language, I have an accent because of these, <laughs> these different things, right? Um, 
and it's just yeah it, it does form a part of our identity and i think even uh, if we look at certain foods how we took parts of the dutch and we mingled it with with our african ancestry or indigenous ancestry um it's just really interesting so i don't want to take too much time rambling on about this because you will hear a lot of it um also in the interview i had a lot of fun uh talking to justin about this discovering our similarities uh, across the islands and also the differences without any further ado here is the interview Today I have Justin with me and we're going to be talking about just our human experience that we have shared human experience with being from the Dutch Caribbean islands and also he's going to tell me stories about himself so I'm curious to learn more about you. Um, we met each other on, on Instagram as we were talking before. Yeah. <laughs> It's really exciting to see the new wave of like artists coming from the Caribbeans and I think especially from the Dutch Caribbean islands because for a long time there wasn't so many of us. At least I recall when I was growing up there was not so many artists and especially really focusing on the topic of our identity, where we're coming from, like the ancestral history and everything like that um and that's one thing i really like about your practice um that you use like really the ancestral science of really more the indigenous uh, part of the identity and also that you use the natural materials and look, i can talk on but i went to your website and i'm gonna use this question on you <laughs> that you wrote yeah, on oh. This, uh, let's see. I have to trans. I have to switch it. Ken Eris, who are you? Ken Yeah, that's a question that I'm still researching upon myself, but throughout my artistry, and it started with the sense of belonging, the belonging of. Um, of knowing who I am as a person and uh, what am I doing with my own existence in being who I am and also growing up in the Dutch Caribbean because I'm from Aruba and uh, this who who am I really is and there's a lot of um, question comes into mind and um, from growing up in the Caribbean you know, I mean the people from the Caribbean we're considered multicultural. We have different backgrounds, European, African, and like a South African, I mean, South American um, or American identities and all mashed together. And people just tell me, yeah, you're a Reuben. But for me, it's like, what is what is a Reuben anyway? And uh, that kind of topic I started, um, well, since two years ago, I started searching more about um, going back into the history of Aruba or also the history of the the pre-colonial times of the Americas trying to see like in a way try to connect the dots for myself and how I why I feel certain ways why don't I feel like I connect with 
with some of the contemporary times because for a long time I always felt lost. For, well, since I was born, since I was raised in Aruba, I always felt like, who am I really? And uh, it's been, uh, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been a journey there. And uh, from that point, learning about the the pre-colonial history of our islands, I felt this huge huge like connection to the indigenous aspects of our his history which has been very much suppressed by the societies for example in growing up being going to school we never really learned much about our own history but instead we learn more about the dutch history or the the golden age of the netherlands and we never really learn about slavery at its authentic form which is something, and also the indigenous people who were also enslaved, and uh, we never really learned about it. And I, I took upon myself to learn about those things by um, doing my own research. Um, you said about the, the slavery, and um, I, I, I also, I mean, I assume we got very similar curriculum. Um, we get a lot of like the old Dutch uh, school, lessons that they don't even get anymore here in the netherlands no crazy um yeah. about slavery the only real quote-unquote slavery class that i got was indeed more focused on the african uh enslaved people and not only that but i remember that we were asked to reenact like slavery okay. And I, I still, it was slightly traumatizing, to be honest, to, to reenact it. And especially afterwards, when you're learning like all the inaccuracies or things that were left out uh, yeah. in those lessons. So now I'm very curious what you found out about the indigenous people in slavery. Yeah. For, um, for what I've, because I've, concentrate more on the, the Aruban um, history aspect of what happened with the people there, you know, with the, one of the first inhabitants, um, which were the Kaikitiyo people, which falls under the Arawak group. And Arawak group is also like a group of indigenous people that lived in the Caribbean and the borders of South America and Central America. And, uh, well, with the Kaikitiyo people, they resided on the islands of Bonaire, Tirsau, and Aruba. And um, from uh, from what I've learned is that uh, when the Spaniards, when the, you know the Europeans came, and um, a lot of the people, the indigenous people, were displaced and they were moved to Hispaniola, which is um, Dominican Republic um, and Haiti. In yeah. uh, say Haiti, yeah, I think so. Well, yeah, it was used to call Hispaniola, and uh, some of them, some of them, since they went there to work. And some of them, they they come back to Aruba, and then they um, they were also they were the type of slaves when they were Aruba that was mostly working not outside but they were working inside. Like in, there was a book called um, Slaven Zonder Plantage because mm -hmm. Aruba didn't really have plantation compared to Curaçao and Bonaire, but the slavery there would consist mostly of um, like a sort of form of servitude that happened in. Uh, in Aruba, but uh, but from there on, um, people they 
the indigenous people have a little bit more rights, a little bit more um, choices that they can make, but they were still suppressed. They were still um, being, you know, abused and, uh, you know, and considering a lot of people that's that's considered, um, you know, two spirited. This is uh, that's another type of subject. Um, they were also murdered, but that didn't, ha didn't happen only in Aruba. It happened all across the Americas when the Europeans came. But uh, from so far, they, yeah, the slavery in Aruba wasn't as, it's like, you know, as expansive as in the ones in Curacao and Bonaire. But it does have a story, which I'm still researching upon it because I didn't go that far into the slavery aspect of the indigenous people. But I'm also busy with the the ways of life in the pre-colonial era before the Europeans came. I mean that's also interesting because I, I do find yeah. that a lot of times we tend to focus so much on like the slavery uh, yeah. aspect of it, or we're constantly redirected in 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 the sense of look, your ancestors were slaves, and we often. Yeah get to look or don't even get triggered to look further because yeah. these people had a life indeed before before this happened to them and yeah. what is the most interesting thing that you found about the pre-colonial times uh, in Aruba the thing I found the most interesting for me was how people treated nature how people have this, you know, this it's like a type of um, collaboration with nature and also based on, uh, you know, they really, you can say that the indigenous people really rely on the natural elements there or else they'll die. Because back then there's no technology. People really have to know everything about the landscape that they're on, especially on islands in Aruba, Curso Bonaire, which is, you know, it's not really a tropical, a semi-arid kind of landscape where you know, in Aruba, it can be very dry. Just you really have to know your way around it. Just they utilize this, every type of materials that they found there in order to survive, to, to create a tribe, you know, to move their own people from, because they came from, um, you know, Venezuela. Mm -hmm. You know, they moved there because they also, the tribe of the Caquetillo, they also have like, um, you know, they also have like families of tribes there that falls under the Arawak. This is a whole, it's a whole system, you know. And um, the way they work with materials, the way they refer the material, like a reference for the materials that they get, and the, you know, the history behind it also, I find very interesting. For example, um, there's a material that I work a lot with, which I also learned from um, reading a book about in the history of Aruba, is the material called Ruku. Mm -hmm. And Ruku is this material in that, uh, yeah, you see also here. It's also, I made this also jewelry, which, yeah, it, it has ruku, it's like ruku and resin infused. But I'll, I'll touch more upon that later, perhaps. Um, yeah. But uh, to talk more about the material, the, you know, the indigenous people, um, they use the material for di many different purposes, like as medicine, as food, as decorative elements to it, rituals, and uh, you know, they use it to protect their skin against the sun, you know, because it becomes, it, it's, it's also very, it's like a dye. It really mm -hmm. colors your skin also. And at the same time, it has a lot of, um, like, vitamin, vitamin E. 
you know it's also it's very good for your uh, for your body and uh, and these days the material ruku is which is also called anato in english or achiote in spanish uh-huh. it's uh, we use it in these days for uh, food coloring and uh, which is very prominent like a lot of food they use that material to give the food a natural color because ruku is is this red powder mm-hmm. if uh, no for the visual element i can bring I have two versions of the ruku. Like the ruku, at its primary in source of material, it is a type of seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, and the seen, seed. The seed. Sorry? I think I've seen the seed before. Uh, yes, and uh, the seeds, which is often sold in you know where I come from, it's often sold in supermarkets in Aruba, and my mom buys a seed to make. To mix her, her vegetable oil to make him like a food dye coloring mm-hmm. with oil to give like a rice color fish or whatever um, dishes she makes this this is the seed version and i also have the powder version which is very yeah powdery but it also it gives off the color see my hands they're already colorful this is for the ones who see the video <laughs> <laughs> And that is really interesting. I'm also finding it interesting that you actually have it because I don't recall that we can have we find this at back home in Bonaire in a supermarket. So okay. that already to me showcases that um, indeed Aruba kept kind of more parts of like the indigenous culture. Um, mm. Then the other islands, I don't know how it is on Curacao. I didn't grow up there, um, but it's it's not a common as far as I, I'm gonna check. But I'm gonna be there in December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't recall ever seeing it in the in supermarkets. Um, so hmm. yeah, that's really interesting. And I did but, write. Oh, sorry. Oh no no um, no because I'm also very interested in you know you growing up in the Bonaire because I don't know anybody else that grows up in Bonaire because I have family in Curaçao and I went to Curaçao a lot when I was younger because I have family there but in Bonaire it's very interesting to hear your own perspective but I don't know um... I mean yeah the, the we do have uh, if we're talking about the indigenous uh, part uh, we yeah. do have kind of like a colony or a, a place that kind of kept more indigenous history uh, in places such as Norte Salinha and you also see the people that come from like generations from this area in Bonaire um, they really resonate more with their indigenous side you know they're having like all of these uh, different symbolisms from uh, indigenous people like decorating their walls wow. and claim it um, we also have like the paint the paintings in the caves uh, from the indigenous people. And yes. for me, the personal aspect of like indigenous uh, identity has been uh, growing up. And my mom always like, told me like, 
my grandma was like indigenous from uh, Venezuela, so she actually got to know her, and she would tell me how how she was and that she's short hair and these things and I, I just love um, learning about her and I, I do believe that she is like one of my spiritual keepers like she's always there oh. and yeah. you know, I've never met her I know she's always there <laughs> um, but it also brought some some challenges for me identity wise because obviously mm. uh, we we're saying before we were we we're pretty mixed um, most people from the islands are predominantly a mix of African, Indigenous, and European. And yeah. different, different skills on, on that <laughs> level. Um, and it's interesting I, to do. A, oh, sorry, um, if you ever did a um, DNA test. Yeah, that's the thing. I wanted to. Yeah. But I have a conundrum in terms of like. Um, the quantum telling of blood is also yeah. a colonial thing, right? The so I want blood, to know, yeah. But at the same time, do I want to be part of that colonial thing? Yeah, this, I also had a problem with, with that before I learned about my own DNA because it was part of my, um, my studies for my graduation and I really want to learn more about myself, about my... But yeah, the quantum, the quantum blood, which it is a very prominent problem in order to keep people in track of okay who can go be in the reservation and all that like and um, you can see that happening a lot in the north americas but yeah that's a uh, yeah yeah so that's my issue and uh, yeah like a moral dilemma at this point do i because obviously i i recognize that indigenous part and but you do feel it also you know there's also the, the feeling about it also and yeah, this the surrounded you have, but also the feeling that you feel. Because for me, before I did a test, I already had this strong connection to the indigenous side, and you know about my ancestor looking out for me, and that there's a lot of things at play. And uh, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. So, but now I'm curious. Do you want to share your results? Um. Well, the results. Well, okay. Yeah, I can share it like a little bit. Um. Well, it says uh, I'm 40% European. I'm like around uh, 6% Nigerian from Africa. I'm 1.1% um, indigenous Amazonian. And the 50%, it says Mesoamerican. 50%, over 50% Mesoamerican. I, I read, what does Mesoamerican mean? But Mesoamerican just means like people that has indigenous and European heritage. Okay. That lives in North America and in America in the Americas. This this is kind of like a little bit inconclusive. Like forty percent European, and then no, oh, sorry, my my math is way off. And twenty percent Europe. I don't know, but it was like fifty percent the mass American. That's what I remembered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really but, interesting. Yeah, I do wonder because I obviously have more african features uh like the, the hair oh. <laughs> the hair being one thing as i mentioned like um one of the reasons that my my mom kept mentioning the long hair of her grandma is because she didn't come out with the same hair she came mm. out with more african hair 
And yeah. after, you know, having babies with my dad, who's obviously more African, uh, like DNA wise, mm. we also got more African hair. Um, yeah. And it's it, it was a struggle because my own mom uh, was struggling with her hair, and the fact that mm. she didn't get that indigenous um, side in like the hair, so obviously she liked yeah. it. Um, or I think not only it goes beyond her liking it, but it's more um, how society views the more African hair. And oh yeah. It's not desirable. Like I'm, I've ended friendships yeah. over <laughs> over this it's topic um, because once I started my natural hair journey, because most mm -hmm. of my generation um, and down got their hair relaxed, and yeah. once I started finally got around the idea of wearing my hair how it grows out of my head, I've had to. Yeah go through some shit basically and yeah i still go through that yeah i yeah i still have friends I, that are like they assume that i would prefer to wear a wig or prefer to have my hair braided um hmm. because a lot of uh yeah women of color uh do that but why do they do that i mean partly it's protective styling but a lot of it has to do with how society views Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a struggle. It's a continuous struggle. Um, I finally, I am at a place where I can say I love my hair. That's yeah. so great. Really accept that part of yourself because that is because I've, you know, for me, my friend group is very diverse and the people, you know, in a, you know, when I'm growing in a room and uh, it's just, you know, what you, you know, for uh, you know the, the you know the, for the women person of color, they really it's a trauma. You know, it's it's a mental and physical trauma that they have to use such harsh chemicals for you know their beautiful hair. Obviously, beautiful hair that's it stems from colonialism. You know, yeah. it just stems from you know the 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 white um, the white uh, what's like that? Oh, how do you say it? You know, um, the standard the European standard yeah, of beauty. Standards, yeah. It is so toxic, and for me, for example, um, in my case, okay, I don't. I my hair is very, yeah, it's just very curly in nature. But um, when I was growing up, also going back to the identity part, mm -hmm. um, uh, like my family, it's just, for example, um, yeah, my mom and dad, and my dad has very strong indigenous features in my dad's side of the family, and my mom. If you look at it from my grandfather. You see a lot of um, like African elements that comes back in our family, but people never really say that they're that they have a certain feature, or they would just say, yeah, there's just a Ruben or Yuri Kursau, like Kursau, because like I said, a big portion of my family also comes from Kursau. Um, this it's this the for example how it affected me in the sense that you know for example you see on television you you see like the media. You see, all the main characters are, you know, they either have blonde or light hair, they have mm -hmm. very sharp, like, noses, or they have colored eyes, very light skin, and I see, like, oh, so so if you're that person, that means you're important, you mm -hmm. know? And for a long time for myself, like, I have my dad's 
dad knows and people always make fun of my family my dad's side that yeah my family have big noses and then um, yeah you're gonna have a very big nose too you're gonna have flat this for a long time i keep telling myself yeah you know what when i grow up i'm gonna have surgery i'm gonna have those noses that are you know being beautified being oh that's a beautiful nose and not a flat nose but uh, it took me a long time to realize that you know i'm fine the way i am i don't have to change things in order to settle for societies like okay okay this is beautiful this you have to be that but yeah. i'm still kind of back to this day about yeah the you know if you don't have caucasian features then you're ugly it's still in my mind but it's not the case it's but i'm still affected by that honestly yeah i've been i've been in rooms with my own family and yeah you would see the people on television and the more uh, African features they had, the, the, the less they, they were desired or certain comments were made, especially about the nose. My own grandma, my grandma uh, or the lady mm. that is my mom, but she's not biologically my grandma. Um, she had her biases. I love her to death, but she has she had her biases. Um, I remember specifically each time someone came on TV that had like a big nose, like more like an African nose. Um, yeah. She would make comments like, oh, that like two trays of like uh, oven, like, by, uh, I want to say, you know, like, like, like two, two, two cakes in those, in that oven, like such comments. Yeah. Oh gosh, those are comments. But when I grew up, I was like, "Whoa, that was that was Ella racist, grandma." You know, like, so, yeah. and and our own people are making these comments about and, and yeah, especially about the African size. Um, yeah, I I think it kind of has to do with we don't really know our history. That, mm -hmm. that we are taught um especially the african side is so kind of demonized um yep. they're really put down as people that were like stupid enough to get captured and brought uh -huh. here and you know they they're not able to have an education and, and all the other stigma so i i noticed that that kind of seeped its way into culture though it's not really cultured are you familiar with the concept of uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome um, post-traumatic slave syndrome mm -hmm. wow no i never heard of that oh there's a very good uh scientist uh researcher thanks social researcher um mm -hmm. her name is uh, dr groy joyce de groy um I, i'll send it to you later if you want oh this is great because I was just gonna write it, but yeah, yeah, so it's you're right. yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't spell it out now properly, so I'll just send it to you later. But <laughs> post traumatic slave syndrome, and she did research because she she noticed these behaviors like the one that we're talking about just now, like us making comments about ourselves, um, mm. this way, but also, um, just black people behavior in general, like it's so uh noticeably different in some especially the ones that went through 
the whole slavery era and these things and uh, yeah. just ways of um, educating our children at home, how, uh, you know, the beatings, the, the mm. talking the children down, um, mm. just the, this whole package. And she just asked herself, why? Why do we do that? Um, why when uh, a mom picks up their, their child at school and the child is giving a compliment about their work, they uh, immediately say, oh, they, they could have done better or something like that. And it, that's mm. like all the reflexes of being on the plantation or being in that situation mm -hmm. of slavery that they could possibly sell your child if your child is too good. Um, you know, and, and these were, so after, basically after slavery was abolished, people were like, yeah, look at the good we did. We stopped like having these people do this work. Um, but no one gave those people a psychiatrist or a psychologist to, to really process what happened to them. Mm. Um, and thus that uh, trauma has been given down uh, through generations and still yeah. we're still we're now generational trauma yeah we're now learning what's actually going on that some of our behavior is actually trauma and not yes. as culture um but this is her work and this is what something that she researched and it, it is something that i wow. uh, i apply in these situations when i think back on, on my own childhood my culture yeah. now still um uh, people back home and and how they're mm. reacting to things and comments we made and yeah it really comes back from this this element of we never really heal our ancestors the, no oh my gosh yes those are the topics of conversation the trauma the healing aspect and you know, it's the same from the, the first episode that you released in your first season about childhood trauma, you know, I really can relate to that, you know, and then, you know, how our parents treat, treated us because the way our parents were treated when they were kids, were the same way how their own parents were treated, them. it just goes down the line, you know, how things, how we were treated and yeah, the childhood trauma, I mean, uh, yeah, I've, I've endured a lot of my own traumas. Um, so for me, my healing is my art, my artwork, but not only for myself, at first, foremost, it comes for myself, but then I'm also doing it for other people. For example, the work that I share online, I put stories in it, I put references where I got stories from, you know, I really also want to share about my own experiences with people and also trying to find my own tribe in that regard also, you know. So yeah. I'm really happy we're talking about these things. Yes, I am. I'm so happy also that I, I tried to find back the post that you shared that I reacted to that then ended up us having this conversation in the first place. <laughs> but I couldn't find it back. Um, I did find my own answer and I could like mark down what I said. Um, yeah. But how, how have, is your experience or how has your experience been um, with that collective side. So how are people reacting to you sharing this uh, information with them? Yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, people really see 
you know, people all the way from Aruba and also Curaçao telling me, like, uh, you know, what I'm doing is something very important, something that is not often talked about and about, you know, to, to see certain patterns that we do for ourselves and why we do certain things. It's important to go back in the past, you know, it's important to look back upon the things that um, used to be happening, for example, and how people, for example, um, in a way, um, you know, people part of the LGBT mm -hmm. today, they also experienced a lot of, um, you know, discrimination, you know, just for being who they are. And, uh, and that also correlates a lot to the you know, BIPOC, you know, the, the BIPOS, you know, um, um, you know, black, indigenous, person of color. Yeah. So there's a lot of correlation also between those two groups. And uh, for example, I myself, I'm part of the, you know, I consider myself queer, gay, you know, it's like, and uh, there's a lot of trauma that's much more prominent when you're a certain way. And people will tend to like, nitpick on your behavior and how you do certain things and that becomes yeah that makes it becomes a trauma mm. and uh yeah i'm, I'm kind of lost in your question yes, <laughs> i started with the collective but i find this train of thought also really interesting it's okay that's okay. what i'm editing for <laughs> um, yeah that's why you know so the collective that's why I'm, i connected a lot with people that are from the dutch caribbean and are also part of the lgbt because they feel they understand the pain that i went through myself you know when i talk more about my work on a deeper level you know one-on-one -on -one individual you know when they dm me mm -hmm. so i talk more about my own experience and then they also talk more about their own experiences and then we have like hey yeah that's how we connect with each other and so that's how i that's most of the time that's what happened between my interaction with the, the collective because it's like I'm giving them a voice in a way where, like, that's not my intention but because of my own experiences they can connect to that. Yeah I, I completely understand you and even for me like I, I wrote a book about myself and I got similar yeah. reaction um, to it and actually going back to should I go back? I'll finish that thought first. <laughs> so that's <laughs> my reaction to it. Um, in the sense that, you know, I, I wrote something very uh, for myself, very personal, mm. just healing uh, in a way of also healing with my art, through my art. Yeah. And the reaction that I got then from my readers, I also went through this. I <laughs> I, you know, I resonate yeah. with your writing. Um, and yeah, it was really great. It wasn't, I would just thought, okay, I'm going to introduce myself as an artist. This is the shortest story I can tell right now, <laughs> the, the quickest one <laughs> I can do. Um, but the reaction I got was, was really nice. And actually going back to the LGBT, uh, mm. LGBT. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, it becomes longer and longer. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's also for me. Um, I ended up in the end uh, resonating more as being queer. Mm. Why? Because I tried to to explain it to people at certain points, 
Yeah. It was a mess. I, I first I, <laughs> I identified as bi, but then I went through a period in my life where I was dating more women, and then you get the mm-hmm. question, are you a lesbian now? And then each time I get that question, I was like, fine, then I, I'll be a lesbian. I don't care. You know, I, I personally didn't care to identify as anything, actually. Um, yeah. But in the end, I was like, okay, queer is <laughs> big enough to keep me happy. And it shuts up the people because a lot of people don't really question queer. <laughs> as a... No, I love the term also, you know, me and my partner, you know, or my partner, my boyfriend. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah queer. We also both, we both use queer because it's just, you know, very, you know, it's like, because you just don't define yourself. Just being queer, then, okay. It's 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 a you know it's a, it's an, also an umbrella term about your own sexual identity and you know concerning sexual identity, it's if you think about it, it's none of none of other people's business. You know what you do in that private time. You know concerning sex your sexuality and people really like to, yeah, I don't know people for some people have this weird morbid curiosity finding yeah. out about your, I don't know. So that's why queer is just this term. Also for me, for example, in my own experience concerning my own sexuality, is that uh, it has been its, it has been its ups and downs. And yeah, you know, I've I've had girlfriends. I've you know I uh, I was sexually, you know, in with a female and a male presenting person. But uh, for me, in the, the, the later times in my life, I've I've been more busy with you know with um, male presenting people. Right. And uh, so, but you know, considering my sexuality, I'm not saying that I'm only gay because I feel like that label for myself doesn't fit. So that's why queer is also very much, yeah, it's I'm much more comfortable with that also. But mm-hmm. people tend to question. Sometimes some people do question. Okay, what is queer? What is gay? And uh, yeah, it depends who who asks also and who's yeah. really interested as a person knowing about those kind of, you know. Um, representations, labels, whatever. This, uh, it depends, yeah. really depends on the people who you talk with and then you can give them an explanation about your own experiences. But some people, most people just don't, in a way don't, not that they don't care, but just, oh, okay, you're that, fine, okay, yeah. you know? I, I, in a way, prefer that because I, I don't I don't like to yeah. talk too much about it. Like, it's never, you know, like growing up, I was, I was just naturally attracted to person, you know. <laughs> exactly the energy of people, yeah. and uh, you know that 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 brings me also back to the term "am two spirited." You have ever heard the term? I've heard the term. I wrote it down because I actually wanted to ask you about it. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it is actually like this umbrella term that was coined in the early nineties. There was a conference in North America, United States, about um, queer indigenous people, and uh, they saw that in different tribes, people have a different terms for the meaning of third gender, or you know the non-binary aspect where people feel like you know if a, a female presenting person wants to wear male male presenting clothing, then they can do that. Or mm-hmm. so it's all about how they feel and what they identify as. This every term is different in different tribes. So that's why one person, uh, one and woman came with this term two-spirited, which is like this umbrella term and also, which, yeah, it is, 
is this like the indigenous um, version of non-binary, but at the same time not, because the two spirits it consists of the male spirit and the female spirit existing together with you. And I believe also that every people has this masculine and feminine energy. And, you know, it's, it's very nuanced. But um, for some people, in my case, for considering how I identify myself, like for me, I identify as a male presenting person, but I feel a very, a lot of feminine strength, a lot of feminine energy, where I feel like, you know, I'm a guy, but I'm also not a guy. Yes, I, I say, I'm, but, but I'm not saying I'm, I'm a woman, but I'm saying I'm incorporating that 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 feminine energy and i yeah. find it very powerful you know those two together i have a theory about yeah. that I, I agree that we all have that that male female energy in us um and i have a theory on why like the gender thing has become as big as mm. it is now um i think that we gender things to the extreme um that for mm. example a certain clothes like i have a dress on all the dresses are for for girls and uh yeah. parts are for girls and i know gi joe is for guys and you know it's supposed to be pants <laughs> and everything and i think this element screwed up a lot of people that yeah maybe a guy just wanted to wear a dress you know and if in a, in a in my world, in my perfect world, no one would bat an eye. But because we live in the world we live in, it it gives such pressure to identify as one of one of the other. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that that has brought a lot of confusion uh, in the sense. Yeah, that's my gender <laughs> theory in in short. It is. It is. You know, the confusion is like. Yeah, I think that's why it's the idea why people have to put like, you know, put us in a binary system, you know, just being a, a man or a woman, you know, it's something, oh yeah, that's simple. You know, the reason that's been put to maintain certain order within the colonial system, you know, within religion, you know, it's like it's religion, oh, doesn't, oh my God. <laughs> it's a whole um, can of worms also there. Uh, you know, but the way, yeah, the way how we present ourselves is really much been affected by how, yeah, by by how the colonials, by the how the colonial system is, yeah, yeah, is, is forced upon us, and to this day, it still, it still thrives that system, and and when there comes the patriarchy, you know, there comes the yeah, the misogyny, you know, and there comes yeah. You know the discrimination of all kinds if you're not a certain person which is very unrealistic when people expect you to be the way they want i don't know for example um there's uh, you know during the you know during the you know the colonial history also there were a lot of residential schools that were being built up mm -hmm. to specifically erase a person's culture in the in the person's native land you know try to lose the language try to lose their, you know, the way they, you know, the food that they eat, the, 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 their own ways of living, their ways of, you know, re reverting nature, try to, the residential school made sure that they go to the Western idealism of, you know, in converting to Christianity, 
you know, wearing wearing the type of outfits that the Europeans wear, you know, basically right. mm -hmm. convert, forcefully convert. And, you know, if you heard in, I think it was two years ago that they found like uh, one of the residential schools that didn't, um, they found a lot of skeletons of children. Yeah, it was Canada, right? It was in Canada, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what happened? And there were some accounts of people that survived the residential school that they're still alive to stay talking about, you know, if children were disobedient, you know, indigenous children mostly, you know, they would get killed, they would get mistreated, abused in any way, emotionally, sexually, physically. It's, 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 oh, I can't, That's I can't terrible. imagine. Yeah. It's, and it's also happening in Aruba, for example, in, you know, there's a, on, on Instagram, I follow a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, indigenous, also Caribbean in based um, accounts. And uh, there's a account about in Caribbean in people. And there was one of them talking about indigenous history of Aruba. Mm -hmm. And they were showing pictures about a lot of children. And you see like a nun or a, like a priest beside them. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like already starting with the residential school, like covering the people. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a know your Caribbean. I think you're talking about. I think it's know your Caribbean. Yeah, I yeah. also commented there. Yeah, yeah, about my own because people as healers, and indigenous people were healers using natural remedies. And I learned a lot of things there that I even that I didn't even know. Also, like the Europeans asked the indigenous people to to cure them of uh, different ailments, and like whoa, and that does make sense. Um, for example, I'll get something very fast. I have a book here that I recently got in Aruba when I was in Aruba. It's called Remeditera. Okay. And uh, Remeditera consists, yeah, it was made by a, a group of women in which they wrote on a lot about medicine of the earth. Basically, yeah, Remeditera mm -hmm. means medicine of the earth. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for the ones that can see the video, I well, there's a lot of pictures of plants and their names, and it's written in papiamento, and uh, it says all of the different ways you can use in plants to treat an ailment. And uh, I just I find it a very important book, and I find it very important knowledge that has to be it has to be passed on because yeah. uh, you know it's part of the look as long as as much as the Europeans, you know, the colonial, the colonial settlers tried to erase the culture, it still thrived, you know, yeah. and also it's still based, uh, for example, the Kaikitiyo people, the language may be extinct, but it is still alive in Papiamento. Papiamento also uses certain words that has indigenous in origin to it. And even, I don't know about Bonaire, but in Aruba, we have a lot of places that has indigenous names and also in animals and plants that have indigenous names and that we still use to this day. This is in one shape or the other, the, you know, the indigenous culture, despite the genocidal effort that the people has put upon and on our ancestor, but it's still, it's like a resistance, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it survived. We survived that. We survived the trauma and uh, the past. So it's it's something that we. It's something for me in my own case that I want to also concentrate a lot more about things that are 
you know, still with us that, as, that we don't have to forget about them. So I find it very important to to go back on certain words that, hey, this word, yeah, it comes from our ancestors. It's, it's very important to remember them. And I find Papimento is also has its own history there, you know, in yeah. you know, Bonaire, Curaçao, Aruba. We are the only three islands that talks speaks in Papiamento or Papiamento, you know, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, we have this amazing, we have an amazing, uh, yeah, we have an amazing culture concerning our language. Yes, there's something also that I want to dive into. I, I was, one time ago, I was learning about um, like African spirituality and mm. things sounded like Papiamento, Kaba. Uh, you know, like these, two, I wrote it, I haven't written down, I started, I never, it's like one of those things I started that I have to get back to. Uh, but I find it also interesting to see how, which things that um, come from these uh, spiritual systems mm -hmm. um, Africa that we also still have in our language. Um, yeah. Also likewise for the indigenous part, it's something I've heard before, um, that especially in the names of like nature things like the, the trees and the animals and these things that we kept it. Um, so it's it's really interesting uh, work. Hmm. And oh, I'm keep making sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting work to be done, and I'm I'm just curious. I think. Uh, with you alone, I can make like a couple of topics that I'm gonna uh, handle this uh, uh, this season. Uh, so that's great. Yeah. I have this also as like the opening uh, of the season two. Uh, so it's a great introduction awesome. to the other topic. Um, <laughs> that's great. And sexuality and all of these things as well. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, for joining. Yeah, thank you so much too. And thank you for telling your own stories. Thank you for the exchange of knowledge about our own experiences. I really appreciate you for that. Yeah, no problem at all. And yeah, <laughs> so excited that you came and then we got to do this. Is there anything else you want to say as a closing to the audience? Yeah. You know, um, just a uh, you know, if you ever feel lost, if you don't, if you ever feel like, you know, you don't have a, you don't know where you belong, you don't have a sense of belonging, you know, just um, look back, uh, look back, just look back into the past, look back into, you know, whether it's your childhood or your culture, and you might find out very interesting things which you never knew of before. And uh, in my case, you know, learning about the history of Aruba, I've only learned about that two years ago. You know, it's very recent where I really learned about my own, my own, um, yeah, history. This, uh, yeah, and yeah, just go back. You never know what you may find, and then uh, from the past, bring it to your present, so you can create a better future for yourself and also for your loved ones. Thank you, know? you very much for sharing yeah, that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you too. Until next time on Poison Honey Podcast. Hmm.